Hello and welcome to the Chonda Living Podcast. My name is Charlie. Today I'm joined by a guest to talk about a topic which I haven't talked about on this podcast for almost two years now, which is the subject of cryptocurrency in Chengdu and in China. And I'm joined by a German fellow, an old friend of mine, who is named Martin. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> hey, Charlie. Hey, Chengdu Living Podcast. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, so you have been deeply involved in the cryptocurrency scene in China for quite a long time. You know, we've had a couple of mutual friends who've been actively involved in this scene for a long time. I would say over 10 years, right? Going back to like Hakim Mamoni, right, to other mutual friends. And a lot of these people have kind of come and gone in Chengdu. And the subject of cryptocurrency has kind of gone from really hot, everyone talking about it, everyone involved, to no one talking about it, and then someone else takes the mantle. So in any case, it seems like you're kind of the, the current guy who is one of the most visible figures within the cryptocurrency scene here in Chengdu. And I thought it'd be cool to take the opportunity to talk to you about some of these developments and take sort of a broader, big picture look at cryptocurrency in China and just kind of see where we're at. Sure. Pleasure to do this. I mean, like I, I got into cryptocurrencies like it was a gradual like development it was also Hakim and, and some other people told me about it very early and then it was just a means uh, to get money in out you know things like this like you talked about in the first podcast already um, and next step was like that I, I went to meetups you know and some of the meetups were happening in Berlin House my bar and then um, yeah I got just deeper and deeper especially like 2017 I had some investments and I did I wanted to diversify Exactly. And then I started like researching and, and through my research, I got more and more into it till I actually like it's it's my paid job right now. I'm working full time for one of the um, major cryptocurrencies. Yeah. So before we begin, maybe for people who don't know you, introduce yourself. Just say where you're from. When did you come to Chengdu and what are you doing here now? Well, uh, my name is Martin, Martin Breuer. I am coming from Germany, Cologne. Uh, I came to Chengdu first time 2005, moved here 2008. Um, yeah. And now you're working with EOS, is that yeah, correct? Yeah, I'm, I'm well, well, I'm working for a block producer on the EOS network. And the black block producer is called EOS Nation. They're coming from Canada, but they're, they're basically like a global operating company. What is a block producer? Well, a block producer is similar, like, I mean, in, in, in Bitcoin, in proof of work, you have mining pools, right? And they have hash power and they get the the authority to bo to validate blocks through the hash power or how fast they are basically how to to solve this riddle um on delegated proof of stake or proof of stake i mean we we should go to the different consensus models first so there is proof of work which is bitcoin ethereum then there is proof of stake which is kind of a middle middle ground between you stake mm -hmm. you have a certain certain amount staked and then you have a node and therefore you can validate right um and then came delegated proof of stake. Delegated proof of, proof of stake brought in the block producers. The block producers, you can basically vote for them and give them your trust and your authority, basically, to, to put them in a position so they can validate blocks. I see. Okay, interesting. So it's clear that you're an authority. <laughs> it's clear you're knowledgeable. I think that was a very <laughs> complex uh, introduction, but I think I get it. So I think my introduction to Bitcoin may have been Hakim, this guy who we mentioned, right. who was an expat, a British expat. British Algerian, I think, if I'm not mistaken, who was here in Chengdu probably from 2007 to 2010, something like that. 
And while he was here, he was hosting Bitcoin meetups or blockchain or cryptocurrency meetups. I can't remember what he called them, but he was the first person that I knew of that was hosting those events. And I think you may have been at a bunch of those. And I was, uh, and some other people who are sort of in the cryptocurrency scene were. And man, it feels like a million years ago. I mean, so much has changed <laughs> since then, like over the last you know 12 years in terms of cryptocurrency. And I will mention for those who didn't listen to the last podcast on cryptocurrency, the last Toronto Living podcast on cryptocurrency, it was in December of 2017. So it was pretty much like right at the peak in terms of valuation, in terms of uh, public interest, awareness uh, of cryptocurrency and of Bitcoin in particular. Um, tell me a little bit about the history of cryptocurrency in China. I mean, at the time that we were recording that podcast, we were talking about how you could use Bitcoin to get money out of China. Right. But that's not really common anymore or, or possible anymore, right? What's what's the sort of situation with cryptocurrency in China right now? Is it legal? Is it popular? Well, I mean, when when you recorded the podcast, it was I think it was shortly after all the exchanges were uh, blocked. You couldn't access them so easy anymore? I think we were kind of right on the precipice of that. Yeah. I think that it was already kind of looking a little bit like it wouldn't be possible soon, yeah. but they hadn't all been banned. Yeah, well, well, the, the, the whole thing is connected to the ICO craze, which kind of also created the hype, right? Because everybody was investing into projects and these projects could be because of the low market cap, you can easily manipulate them. So people were FOMOing like crazy and, and right. it all went over Ethereum and Ethereum you could buy with Bitcoin and basically this created like a, a giant bubble. Yeah, so the ICO and, craze, ICO is initial coin offering and that's like yeah. Bitcoin lookalikes. Yeah, well... In some ways. It's I mean, cryptocurrencies. They, yeah, yeah. They have their own sort of unique properties, but they're right. cryptocurrencies similar to Bitcoin, sort of yeah. capitalizing on the awareness and popularity and growing valuation of Bitcoin. Exactly, exactly. How did they, the ICO craze work out or where are we in that development? Well, um, I would say like, especially in China, the ICO craze was a little bit like uh, opened up a lot of room for for. People that that cheated money, that that scammed uh, worldwide. You, you, we we heard a lot about scams um, because basically you invest in a project and the only thing you get get back is tokens. Um, but you don't know much about like what they're gonna do with 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 the actual money. In, in I mean, they, they you sent them Ethereum, right? And you don't know what they're doing with the, with this Ethereum. And a lot of projects they kept it in Ethereum. So when when the market crashed, they also lost a large share of their actual capital or they played even further with the investment. Are there a lot of Chinese companies and Chinese coins and Chinese uh, investors who got caught in these sort of traps? Yeah, well, a few, I would say. I mean, they're, they're um, every now and then, but I mean, since, since ICOs got illegal, they also were operating kind of anonymous, right? And uh, I mean, the, the most recent case, uh, we still have scams in China and there, I mean, uh, it was called the plus token wallet and they had like a large amount, like I think 700,000 Bitcoins were, were stored in their wallet. And it's basically like a giant Ponzi scheme. Wow. And they got caught recently. So but, how does the scam work? Like they create an ICO, they create tokens, they sell it to uh, in individual Chinese investors who are not aware of what's going on. And they just steal the money. Is that how it works? Well, that that was like Plus Token Wallet was a wallet, basically like uh, uh, where you store your your um, cryptocurrencies. It could be EOS, could be Ethereum, could be Bitcoin. And for storing it in there, 
in their wallet, in their um, uh, basically account, they offered you a large interest, up to 30% interest. And a lot of people were believing that. Wow, that's a lot of interest. Yeah, but, I mean, since it was a Ponzi scheme, you needed to get other people in to actually be eligible to get this interest. And then there was a waiting phase, and it just like build up, build up, build up, build up, till I said, okay, now we're actually um, not doing this by my... <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's so, like, uh, what? <laughs> yeah. Wait, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. And then with, with the ICOs, it was just like a similar thing. They, they, can, they can come up with any reason why their project didn't work. It's basically like a Kickstarter campaign where you sell somebody, uh, but they can, if, if a project doesn't work, then it doesn't work. Or when, when they're running out of funds, then they're running out of funds. Or if there's another com competitor uh, being faster and deploying the same thing at the same time or, or faster than they are, they lose their value, right? Man, have I learned that Kickstarter lesson the hard way. <laughs> I've invested <laughs> yeah. in so many projects that they're like, well, you know, we couldn't really do what we wanted. We tried. Hey, we gave it a shot. Thanks for the money. And you're just like, ah, oh, damn it. Yeah, That's this just sort of the nature of the system. I'm still waiting for my solar-powered headphones. Oh, man, I'm waiting for my last master's uh, kung fu documentary. <laughs> yes, I invested in that one. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask this, though. I mean, I think that there is a general perception of cryptocurrency in China being a scam, like with all these different ICOs. Are there any, you know, real, well-intentioned, um, knowledgeable, good people in this scene in China who you trust? Or is it really just super dangerous? Well, there, there are a lot of people that are, that are, there are a lot of people that I trust. Um, and I think the scams are one part and ICOs are one part. And there are really legit people that are working on blockchain technology um, that are raising funds differently. Or, yeah, for example, like the IEO model that recently came up, it's an instant exchange offering. So an exchange basically vouches for, for, for the legit, for the legitimacy, uh, legitimacy. legitimacy. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Got sorry. it. Uh, of a project. They're doing vetting. They're professionals. And, and, um, the, the token also gets immediately listed. So there's already some kind of like liquidity to, to the project. So that's kind of the next phase after the ICO market. Oh, I see. Right? And is this phase regulated in China? Um, well, since there are no exchanges in China, you know, that, then it's not regulated. You know, I've always been kind of confused about is cryptocurrency legal in China? Is it illegal? I, I just I can't figure this out. <laughs> is it legal? I think I think purchasing things with this cryptocurrencies is illegal. Okay. So uh, I'm 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 not sure if purchasing. I mean, mining. There's a lot of mining. So creating cryptocurrencies. Tons, tons of miners here, yeah, right? So, Especially in Sichuan, I heard. Yeah. So there there are different there there are a lot of different blockchain based companies or cryptocurrencies based companies that you can do. And like in, 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 in Hainan, there's like an economic zone for, for crypto projects. Wow, that's cool. You know, and, and Hobi just moved there and they have kind of like a special economic zone for developing this. And, and they are working with the government there on certain sets of regulations. That makes sense. There's also been rumors, I think, of like an official renminbi crypto, a crypto renminbi, basically like a government run yeah. crypto project. What are your feelings on that? Do you think that will happen? And if so, how do you feel about it? Well, I don't. I, well, it can be crypto based, but it won't be decentralized. So I think it's a complete different thing. And, you know. Yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> it's totally centralized. So then you have to ask, like, well, why are we doing this? Well, probably because it's even still more secure in a way, right? So because there's no central attack vector. So it is more secure, but it doesn't 
like the whole vision that that Satoshi had, or that the whole crypto ethos, basically, to decentralize uh, governance and 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 build networks that are more like uh, like flat flat governance. That is not in the crypto realm. Yeah, this is one of the most compelling parts of this whole concept, in my belief. Can you summarize who is Satoshi and what was his original belief? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Satoshi can you describe who well, he was? Okay, Satoshi uh, is is. Um, a phenomenon, phenomenon uh, that uh, released the Bitcoin white paper, uh, and based on the Bitcoin white paper, Bitcoin was created, and it and it created like a, a hard currency, like sane money, it's, it's called. And and there's um, there's still some 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 way of uh, inflation going on, but sooner or later this inflation will die out, and and the, the maximum amount of bitcoins are reached. And already now, like the amount of bitcoins created are way less than in the beginning of Bitcoin. Because of the uh, difficulty, it becomes more and more difficult to mine bitcoins. Mm -hmm. So, and the decentralization—the idea that there is no central authority for Bitcoin, everything is distributed—so it makes it much more difficult to hack it, to tamper with it, to influence it. Right. Um, there's not a centralized location which can be just attacked because it's distributed all over the globe. So it's kind of curious to wonder: well, if you had a cryptocurrency that was centralized, you would certainly gain some attributes. There are some positive effects of taking that route. Yeah. There's accountability, there's security, there's some other features. But Transparency. Yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of downsides as well. And it's yet to be seen, I guess, what's the real value of a centralized cryptocurrency. But I feel like China's in this very unusual place where it wants to ban it, it wants to control it, just like it wants to ban everything, it wants to control everything. But it also doesn't want to miss this train. You know, If yeah. cryptocurrency really is the future of currency or of finance, or even if it's a significant part of the future, China wants to have a hand in that. It wants to have some influence. It wants to have some control there. So it'll just make its own cryptocurrency. Do you think that it would have much success in doing this? I mean, what I mean is if China were to make a crypto RMB, would people outside of China care or invest in it? Well, I, I think it will be just a digital version of the RMB. You know, if it's blockchain-based or crypto-based, it doesn't really matter. It will be easier to interact, you know, and it will be probably, um, yeah, just just more convenient. But it w I don't know how it would be existing if there are actually decentralized currencies that are more um, like having having this global decentralized concept. I don't know if if like basically we have a, a competition right now between like uh, government issues currency if you issued currencies regardless if they're paper or or crypto based right and um like global currencies that have their own kind of um state if you will or their own currency for their own network for their own community mm -hmm. right yeah and there there are a lot of like ideas around creating let's say a currency for one use case you know, if you if I like to do fishing, like a you know, pot coin, <laughs> yeah, or for whatever, exactly, right, right, exactly. And, so and all that these goes specific with, yeah, coins, and that goes with reward systems, or like uh, there, there's uh, there, there's things for for art artists. They they can they can issue NFC NFTs, uh, which are non fungible tokens. So you ba basically can can secure a provenance, and these these things can also have a value. And then if somebody like uh, ups the value. For example, of of my of my artwork by writing a critique or writing an article about it, then they also generate value, and in this, in an ecosystem like this, they would also be incentivized, right? Right. So yeah, there's so many interesting potential blockchain use cases. Right. You know, one which people are talking about in the United States recently is 
voting through blockchain. Yes. One of the prominent presidential hopefuls for 2020 is named Andrew Yang. Not sure if you've heard of him. He's yeah, a Taiwanese American. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm following Andy Yang, uh, Andrew Andrew Yang? Andrew Yang, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, cool. And um, like the the originator of US blockchain and EOSIO protocol actually has a patent on blockchain voting. Oh, really? Okay, That's yeah. Dan Larimer. He just recently made a comment to the effect of standing in line to go vote at your local yeah. polling place is obsolete and something that we won't be doing in the future. You can vote using your phone securely using blockchain technology. Yes. And everyone in the States is like, what? What's blockchain? Like, what's going on? Like, I want to use my phone to vote. Yeah. So now there's a lot of interest and scrutiny in that, which is great to see because it feels like it's been, you know, a couple of years, maybe since 2017, that people were having these kind of talks, you know? Yeah. A couple of years ago, people were like, well, Blockchain is going to be the future. Blockchain is going to change everything. You're going to shop for groceries differently and you're going to buy airplane tickets differently and you're going to vote differently and yeah. currency is going to be different. Every facet of everyday life is going to be transformed by blockchain because of the security, the versatility, all the different features which it offers. Now it feels like we're kind of back at that point where Bitcoin is over $10,000 again. Everybody's talking about you know what blockchain is going to do in the future. It's uh, It feels like a hopeful time again. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, all these promises that, that, that were made and, and the people going nuts about like the visions and the potential behind the technology, it needs to be built out. You know, at the time when, when, when the concepts were born, uh, they were not built yet. People got funding for it, you know, and then you need to give them the time to actually build it, build the infrastructure and also do the education so people actually know um, how to use it. You know, yeah. sure, you can, you can read an article, you can see the price going up and FOMO in. But this is speculation. That's not real development of the actual technology. So FOMOing in, let's explain that. That's an <laughs> acronym, which is fear of missing out. Yes, exactly. And this is special in cryptocurrency because the idea is that it's it's developing so quickly, so much value is being created. People have fear of you know missing one vehicle of value, be it Bitcoin or EOS or any other token. Right. And... Uh, people jump on seeing it as sort of a limited time uh, offer of value. Is that right? Um, well, limited time offer of value, I mean... How would you explain uh, FOMOing? FOMO. Uh, FOMOing <laughs> means like, okay, um, wait, my friend uh, invested $10 like a year ago and now he's rich. Um, I want to do the same. Or like this is raising, like this price is going up so much. I also want it. Yeah. You know, so you just throw money at it without doing the research. Right. But there's also reverse FOMO which is selling when the price goes down. Reverse so, FOMO. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So when, every, when, when there's a big drop, like everybody is also selling because they're afraid like uh, it's the end of the world. So the dynamics in... in, in That's in, if you're not hodling. Exactly. Huddle <laughs> <laughs> <Auto> game. <laughs> which is the competing ideology, which yeah. is always hold, never sell, which has been a popular meme, I guess, within cryptocurrency over the last few years. Yeah, but it's also, it's kind of, um, the way I see hodling is also like cost averaging. You know, you can just like, if you believe in the future of cryptocurrencies, you just like take a little chunk of your money, you know, of, of your salary or whatever, and you just invest into crypto regularly. So you cost average, you're not touching it, you're not playing the games, you're not checking the market cap or the prices like every five minutes on your yeah. phone, you know. like. So I think hodling is like a nice way to actually go with with a future technology and be part of it if you don't want to do the research in learning actually what kind of projects making what kind of progress. Yeah. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, when we first started, you know, going to like Bitcoin meetups in Chengdu, when Hakeem Mamoni was here over 10 years ago, if you had bought $100 of Bitcoin then, that would be worth so much money now. Right. So I guess, and but it's it takes a lot of discipline to not sell over that time period. Exactly. Because as the value went up, it got to $100 a coin. People were going, wow, I can make so much money. Let me sell it and like buy something nice. Then it gets $1,000, $5,000, it It's tough to sell through all that turbulence. And there's a lot of emotions involved. Right. You know, as the value goes up, you get really excited. When the value goes down, you get really scared. It's a, it's an emotional roller coaster. So, but tell me this, you've been involved in blockchain here for such a long period of time. How did you transition from someone who was just interested in this stuff into someone who was working in this space? Um, well, it, it, it really happened with like the complexity, how blockchains and cryptocurrencies actually work. You know, the, before, before Bitcoin, you could either be an investor or you could really start getting into mining, right? There were those two things. Then when the ICO market started, you, can, you could like actively invest, you know, into projects and, and, and see, okay, they are doing something interesting and, and basically do your own research in knowing what might take off, you know, so you're being an investor, right? Right now, I think learning became an interesting factor because the more you learn, the more you're becoming an expert. And this is kind of the, the, the road that I took in the last three years because I was interested in smart contract, but I also saw the limitations of them, like when it comes to scalability or the costs of it, right? So I, want, I was researching who can actually solve this. So we can have like a blockchain smart contract-based contract internet. And it's, this is basically like the web 3.0. Right. And I saw that the current Internet has a lot of issues, like accountability is not there. You can have like bots and, and fake users everywhere, fake news. This is a phenomenon. And I was really interested in like finding a project that is working actively on a solution to to create not just like a global currency, but also like a global medium where where societies, communities can grow. Like and, and that's. That's how I got into this and, and I got motivated and, and then basically applied for jobs. I see. So you found, you knew about EOS and you applied and met someone through there and that was kind of the route? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, um, the, the block producer that, that I'm working for, EOS Nation, they had like a unique idea to basically give, a, a like give everybody the chance that wants to apply like to be an ambassador. And through this ambassador program, I got into like a little bit more the inner circles and I, I, they, they gave me access to resources. I could ask questions at all times when I don't understand something, when, I, when I'm preparing a presentation and, and I have a question that I don't get. So basically, they, they gave me not access to knowledge and I started helping like building a community here in China. Can you describe EOS? What does EOS stand for and what's the sort of pitch of EOS in the whole cryptocurrency ecosystem? Well, EOS uh, has a lot of, like, it doesn't stand for anything. There are a lot of um, ideas like uh, enterprise operating system or uh, everybody's open society, or it's also the goddess of dawn in the Greek mythology. Uh, however, it doesn't officially stand for anything. Uh, what EOS is, is it's like a platform, an open source platform to build dApps on. So dApps are decentralized applications. So basically not just being a decentralized currency like to, to exchange values, it's also like an application that you can build on top of the blockchain, right? So, um, and EOS is providing this platform, it's open source, 
and it has the, the, the potential to scale. Scale means that it can process like a lot of transactions in a fast speed. So there's no bottleneck situation that, that we have with Ethereum and CryptoKitties, for example. Like, I see, I see. So there's a global network of EOS advocates, right? And you right. are the main person, as I understand it, in China or one of them? Well, no. Like As I said, they are block producers. They are like 180 to 200 block producers. And... Um, Alone in, like China has the most block producers actually because China is actually on the ball when it comes to cryptocurrencies. And it that comes from the history of of, of Bitcoin mining, right? They yeah. just there are a lot of professional companies working in this. Why is it that Bitcoin mining is such a big enterprise in China? Is it because the cost of energy is lower? It can't be because the le you know, the legal circumstance is more favorable for cryptocurrency, is it? Well, I think in the beginning, like there are two factors, like most of the computer chips are built in China, right? And then there is like a lot of like, uh, there's cheap energy and there's a lot of like hydropower, right? And at these places where you have hydropower there, they're usually like mining farms. Have you ever visited any of these big mining operations? Yeah, a few. What's it like? It's impressive. Is, I it, mean, is it far away? Is it difficult to get to? Are they very remote? Um... I don't like you wouldn't know that they're farming bit, bitcoins there so they are kind of out in the open I would say um yeah I mean I I've brought uh, like uh, um an American film team there to to shoot actually like a film for for western um film festival so they're not close they're not secretive so what's it like I mean do you go on a train or do you drive like hours away is it near Chengdu is it far away is no, it is like, it like uh, is it like the Matrix, just like huge columns of <laughs> no. like mining equipment, or what does it look like inside there? <laughs> it looks like a pig farm. <laughs> it looks like a pig farm. <laughs> no, I can see why you brought a film crew there. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, uh, there it's it's literally like a farm. It's there's there's some some way of security, you know. Um, it's it's the buzz in the air is crazy because like you're coming in and there are like shit tons of. ASIC miners just like, yeah yeah and like that's kind of impressive also the I mean how they maintain it it's impressive I mean like when it's if one miner falls out you just take it out take the next one and there's like shit tons of of stacks of new miners and old miners and it's just like basically the employees are just like if something breaks they, they put the next one in wow so it's nice but it's not anything like the matrix <laughs> more like a pig farm than the matrix i got it that's a great description pig farm um it makes yeah. sense because there's probably a lot of pig farms in that region right like in in sichuan province this is like an agricultural region this is the bread basket of china here yeah I so mean, i guess it makes it makes more sense that it would be a pig farm rather than the matrix <laughs> don't name, name it down on <laughs> don't name it down on that one okay cool uh, as well as being involved in EOS, you also have sort of rebooted Berlin House, which is another interesting thing which you do as a as a meeting point for cryptocurrency. Tonight, actually, as we record this, is Thursday, and there's Crypto Thursdays um, at Berlin House, and Berlin House actually has such a long history of sort of being involved in the crypto scene here in Chengdu. Um, tell me about that. What kind of history is there behind Berlin House and cryptocurrency? And what's your involvement in Berlin House? Um, well, I think three years ago, I started doing uh, Berlin House as like, uh, I think it was after, 
after I did like a lot of parties and uh, events, organized a lot of these things and, and we got a little bit older and then people that I did parties with, we started to do like a daytime activity thing. It was sought to be like a meeting point where you can work and during the day and still be in the community. Um, so we, at that time, we also did like a couple of meetups there. There were an investment uh, workshop, then there was a mining workshop, then there was a set up your account, set up your wallet workshop. Basically, just like education information, and um, that was basically it at the time. And um, uh, later, later then I started to to also implement a couple of the ideas behind like ICOs or Kickstarters or shared shared economy, shared ownership into the model of uh, of Berlin House. So every year I'm I'm selling a couple of keys for people who want to be part of of Berlin House, and then it's more like a, the ownership is more like everybody can be involved. And um, make my, the more value they bring, the more they can actually out, take out. Um, while that was kind of detached, Berlin House is detached from the crypto scene, but still I use it as a venue to do educational events there. And um, Crypto Cocktails, an event that I do right now, is, is an idea to have something regular. And it's more like a meeting point for the people where you don't have somebody, some expert giving a presentation and you have like an audience just listening and waiting until it's over and then you have like maybe 10, 15 minutes of networking afterwards. I want to make this a networking event and, and people from all um, entry levels, all knowledge level can come there and discuss. And also people from, from different areas or different uh, philosophies. There are a lot of maximal, maximalists for, for Bitcoin or Ethereum or, you know, and they, they kind of... they deprive themselves to learn about other projects or I, I, I am pretty much in, into EOS the whole time so I don't know some things that other projects are doing. So some people are passionate about a pro project and then, then this place they can exchange their knowledge, they can exchange their research and I mean this is happening a lot on, 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 on Telegram or on, um, on WeChat in groups but I still think like meeting in person as a community is kind of nice and it also creates uh, it attracts people who want to learn who are really new to to cryptocurrencies and they can just come they can listen in and if they have the question they, they can just ask and at a moment they wouldn't do this probably on social media because then it would be like scared scared away by the <laughs> the big bad wolf yeah, exactly yeah so now that you're involved and in, in this um, social enterprise have you met a lot of interesting people in the crypto scene kind of like yourself people who work inside crypto here in china but might be westerners are there a lot of people like you or is your position pretty rare um well there are a couple there are definitely a couple um the majority is still chinese but also a pretty like open-minded chinese people like they speak English, they have lived abroad. I mean, but there are definitely a couple of uh, people from uh, like bigger VC funds, for example. They have like an international team. Then there are a couple of developers who, who just come here and work on international uh, projects, you know. So, yeah, I, I met some interesting people, sure. How do you feel about the future of cryptocurrency in China? Do you think that China will loosen up a little bit and allow some more crypto companies to open here, especially some exchanges, because it's hard to imagine how you can have an ecosystem without exchanges, right? I mean, are Chinese people right. just using VPNs and using exchanges outside China? Or I think, I think the, the, the whole question about regulation will happen uh, when the global big players like the G20 have had an agreement, you know, and then there will be uh, some sort of you know, um, regulations, and they might vary from country to country. Um, 
you know, the, if, for example, there's a crypto renminbi, and that's the only uh, on-ramp for investing into other cryptocurrencies and the only off-ramp for, for Chinese uh, citizens, I think then, then they have enough control over seeing how much money you invest and how much money you're getting out so you're not fleeing the tax, you know, and all these kind of things. So right now, I think um, all the global governments, they're working on the best way to deal with this phenomenon. They know that the technology is kind of the future, uh, but they're kind of keeping trying to, to suppress the development a little bit so it doesn't go crazy like the ICO crisis in 2017. Yeah, you know, um, and and kind of deal with it because it takes also a lot of elements of control out of the government's hands. It sure it sure does. Right. I think that's the major concern which governments have is that it they lose a lot of influence, they lose a lot of control, especially over the illicit movement of money, drug money, you know, money that hasn't been paid tax on, things like that. Right. Uh, difficult to enforce those sort of laws with a decentralized system. If you centralize it, then you have much more control over it and. Ultimately, that's what China wants. I hope that China can take some kind of action over the next year sure. to invite more people into cryptocurrency right. uh, because it's obviously an important movement in finance and technology and uh, do that in a way which um, can be done in the current environment of China, which is pretty tight control over things. Right. But in a way, we're still talking about currencies, right? The whole, like, what I'm more interested in is really to have accountable information and valid information and real users on the blockchain and on social media that's in the internet. So I think this is, this is a different thing. And, and um, I mean, you're from America. Uh, you have massive issues with fake news, apparently. The whole world has that. But it was like having a real influence on your presidential elections, right? And that's, that's something that... Um, also, China, I think China is blocking a lot of sites, right? Like blocking yeah, Western know, I, media sites in order to, to prevent false information to come out. I think it's a, the problems are related, I think. You know, in my view, the, the fake news phenomenon is a problem of too much centralization of news. Right. You know, there are too few corporate companies which are outlets for all the information which 330 million people get. And as a result, it's, it's pretty easy to propagate mistruths or lies. Right. Because there's just not much decentralization. Uh, there's not much fact-checking because there's just few sources of information. Uh, it's similar to China, you know, which, which is like over-centralization, which can be a danger, which can be a problem. Right. But this it, is one of the most attractive parts of Bitcoin is the decentralization. The fact that you can't just go in and change the ledger in like one place. You know, it's yeah. distributed, it's backed up, and um, that makes it very safe and difficult to tamper with. Right. But also, I mean... To prevent people from having uh, multiple accounts, like that, that are having the same voice and the same influence, and have multiple reputations, and they can build each other's reputation up, or validate kind of with with an army of fake bots a certain piece of news and bring them high up on the ranking. I think these kind of things need to be targeted. Yeah, you know, and and that is something that um, where I'm more interested in, like, right? And what what EOS or EOS IO software is actually trying to do planning to do. Right. Okay, cool. Well, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Um, I would like to ask you, where can people find more information about the things which we talked about? Uh, we've already mentioned Crypto Cocktails, which is every Thursday at Berlin House in Chengdu. The location information for Berlin House is pretty easy to get. But um, what else um, should people check out? Where can they find out more about EOS? Well, I think 
um, they should go to our website, eosnation.io, and then under blog, I'm releasing uh, the EOS hot sauce. And that's, that's a weekly article that summarizes all the devel developments on, in the EOS ecosystem um, in seven languages. So I, I think that's fine. And then from there, a lot of other news sources are linked because like, there are actually multiple news, news sources and, and different platforms working on it. And, and EOS is working with those platforms together. So as a starting point, I would go there, like eosnation.io blog and then EOS hot sauce. EOS hot sauce. Cool. Got it. Thanks again for joining me, man. Cool. Thanks for having me.